0: Welcome to The Razor's Edge. I'm Daniel Schwarzman, joined as always by Seeking Alpha author Akram's Razor. As you know, The Razor's Edge features ideas Akram's following personally in his investing on his marketplace service, also called The Razor's Edge. I bring a generalist stance and we kind of suss out the ideas, figure out what goes into them, what the research is, why Akram feels strongly or unsure about certain things, and where I come out as well. You can check out Akram's service, Akram's Razor on Seeking Alpha's Marketplace, type in Razor or Akram or the Razor's Edge on any search bar on the site or go to seekingalpha.com slash marketplace and you'll find the services. We're bringing a guest today onto the podcast, Justin Stepka. Justin has spent over 15 years in the software as a service space, the SaaS space, co-founder and co-CEO of Enterprise Fund, a private equity firm focused on startups. He also worked at Docker for four years. Prior to that, he founded Authentisoft, an internet security startup, then sold that on to Atlassian, where he went to work for nearly a decade. On the last episode, Akram and I talked about the SaaS space with a focus on Slack, Zoom, PagerDuty, as well as relative valuations in the space and just what's going on overall. So we're going to add another perspective today from somebody who has seen key players in the space from the inside and up close. Before we begin, our usual disclaimer and disclosure. Raises edge the podcast and Seeking Alpha is the Investing Edge channel. Views discussed belong to either Justin, Akram, or me, respectfully. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. We'll disclose any positions and any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast. Up front, I'm on Google, which often comes up, but none of the conventionally discussed SaaS names. Akram is long, PD, Work, Facebook, and Twilio, at least was last time. I guess I should have double-checked. Justin is long, team work and Amazon. So guys, w- good morning. How are you guys doing? Good morning. Good morning. Good, good. So Justin, let's start with, we, we talked about Slack and Zoom last time. You were at Atlassian for a long time and, and still own shares. Obviously, we were talking before the podcast, quite bullish on the company. I think Atlassian and Slack especially have a lot of interesting overlaps. I know for us as a company, Atlassian is super well integrated into Slack with Jira. I don't think we have Trello integrated, but they're they're both really workplace management products to a certain degree. And so and they competed with each other. Hipchat, which was something we joked about last time, we also used it Seeking Alpha at some point. I'm curious what your how do you view the way these companies stack up? You own shares in both, so you like and Atlassian eventually event, invested in Slack themselves. But how do you how do you make the this competitive positioning or the relative positioning of these companies?
1: Yeah, I mean, as you said, I'm, I'm very bullish on Atlassian, and I'm equally as bullish on Slack. You guys touched on it a little bit in your last call. Our podcast in terms of, of the, the integration play that both of these companies have. And I agree with that quite a bit. And the, the reason that I like that sort of moat that these companies have is because once those integrations or workflows are, are, are part of your business processes, they, they just simply don't get removed. And to that thesis that you guys laid out on your last call, you know, maybe a week or two ago. Lassing acquired. I'm not really even sure how to say it. It's like help, but it's they switch the vowel like every other weird tech company. It's H A L P. And so, I mean, they're they're going all in on that strategy that you guys laid out, where you build this marketplace and you build these integrations. And once these things are in place, and people want to change something, it just becomes too hard in order to rip out, you know, the electrical wiring and the walls, basically. And so, when I look at these two companies, and I look at the leadership of these companies, and I look at the spend on R and D that they do, which is well above almost every other company in their group, I just think that there's there's just so few companies out there like these two companies that that are going to have tremendous growth over the next uh, coming years.
0: The the R and D thing's is interesting because that was something that you know Akram made the point that on one perspective, Zoom, for example, is really attractive because they're already a profitable. On the other hand, when you look that's partly because they've got an engineering team in China. They don't have to spend as much relatively on R&D. When you talk about high R&D as a essentially building a moat, you've sort of seen it from the inside with the obviously. But how do you, as an independent investor now, determine that that's actually going to good use? Like, How do you see that that plays out and that it's adding to the wiring in the walls that makes it so hard to rip out these companies? And gives them protection from other players coming in.
1: Well, I mean, in the case of Atlassian, I was there for a long time and 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 you know one of the things that you just have to have in order for a company to be good is leadership. And I'm very familiar with Mike's position, like the co-CEo of Atlassian, that every dollar spent on r and d is a benefit for their customers, and if they take care of their customers, then it's going to take care of the stock price. Whereas later in my career, I worked at Docker. You know, I watched R and D get starved and not appropriately investing in the R and D sitting there watching it and doing it. You, you can see the value difference in terms of what the customers get. And so it's just become part of the way in term in, 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 with how I evaluate these companies. And so when you do that, the customer benefits. And, you know, as I said, or as Mike said, when the customer benefits, the stock price benefits.
2: So the, the interesting thing there, uh, Justin, which is actually, I hadn't even thought of it this way. The Zoom CEO's entire, literally, ethos is customer happiness. When I think about it, because you just made a good point in terms of investing in the R&D, like I've been on, I don't know how many Zoom calls now in the last three months. I, I like I haven't created a Zoom account. I don't have any stickiness to the application. Daniel's recording the podcasts on Zoom. People just send me a link. Like the same way you just got a link or an invite. I don't, It's it's there. I don't know where it is. It's somewhere in the computer. You know, <laughs> like it's just it. It takes care of business in the background. Now that's amazing from a, from a user interface standpoint and like a simplicity and like you know frictionless and all that. But when you come back to it from like uh, a stickiness element, is is that something that is a bit of a problem, or do you even know it's there? Are you actually a customer? Because this has been a big debate. When Zoom reports June 2nd, and you and I have talked about this, the range of expectations, what are they monetizing, how much existing customers, what's a meeting participant, if I'm on it five times, no one really knows what's translating into bottom line for Zoom. And we, we got into that on our podcast. And it'd actually be interesting to hear your opinion because you are making a point on, on R&D. And I, when I looked at Zoom last year, and when, and when I bought Zoom at the end of last year, November or whatever, um, ahead of their earnings, their Q3, thinking that maybe we'd get a guide, the early guide for fiscal 2021. A lot of my thinking was still grounded in that environment of Slack's got Teams up its ass. The market hates that. Zoom is, no one is sitting here saying WebEx, but WebEx, Zoom's making money. Zoom has got much higher ROI. You know, Zoom's margins are this and I, Zoom's margins were like, you know, that like that kicker versus a Slack who's spending an r But then when I started looking at these from the work that I did in January in terms of Uber switching, what I was doing in terms of looking into PagerDuty, Apple going all in, and, and the implementation guy pointing out that they want to integrate it with Slack to use it for like on-the-go, on-the-fly customer support and stuff like this, that's when you look at it and you say, all right, well, wait, maybe Zoom is just under-invested and there's zero moat, relatively speaking. Yes, the market from a marketing standpoint, and I think it was you who made that comment, right? Like the Zoom marketing team.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did,
2: yeah. <laughs> what do you have to say about all this?
1: Uh, look, I think stickiness matters for sure. Churn rate is a variable that is very closely monitored, at least any, on any product that I've worked on, and as, as well as net promoter score, NPS. And the thing about it is, is if you lose 1% of your customers every year, you know, you're going to lose 10%. And you got to go make those customers up. And so in the case of Slack and Atlassian, all things aside, people making fun of Jira and not liking it. When you look at the customer numbers of these companies and you look at the retention rate of these companies, they just continue to go up. So, I mean, they are very sticky. And you can see that sort of play out with Slack versus Teams. Teams is just being given away. Microsoft has these, I mean, we work with them quite extensively at Docker. You know, they're just giving credits away in order to convince people to move to the cloud. I mean, they are absolutely trying to transition their business model. I mean, if you look at their last earnings call, they did what, 52% growth for them. A part of that play for them is giving away teams. They need that sneakiness and they need people to like it. I, I do a bit of volunteering for young people that are trying to break into the tech industry. And I, you know, I talk to them about what tools they use and what are their workflows like, and, and questions like that. I mean, they can't stand teams. I mean, there's a guy at PayPal that I work with. They have Slack and they have Teams, and the company is gravitated towards Slack. And so I think, I think the stickiness of that particular product is going to be around for a long time. And I would agree with your thesis on the, the last call where it is extremely undervalued on a P to S ratio going forward against the, the other cloud players.
0: What, what's interesting about that is also the fact that we talk about R and D dollars and I mean, I pulled it up, Microsoft spends something, I'm not doing all the math in my head, but something almost 40 times or probably 40 times what Slack does in R and D and obviously Microsoft has tons of other product lines, but I'm curious, this, the interesting thing, and we talked about this last time with Akram's article from last summer about once upon a time in tech is about. Eventually, these companies start bumping into each other. And then also, if they're attractive enough, a big player comes in and threatens. And we're seeing that, obviously, with Zoom. Everybody is now saying, oh, yeah, here's you want video? Here's video conferencing. We can do that, too. How do you you like team? And I'm actually not aware of who, if any of the bigger players are targeting team. But team Atlassian has targeted at various times. We mentioned Slack. We also, Ackerman's has talked a lot about pager duty. And with the Ops Genie purchase and how that hasn't played out yet, what, what do you see happening or what do you see as far as an upstart that actually ends up becoming sort of an inc- incumbent? What makes the difference? Why is it that some upstarts are able to keep their competitive advantage against some of these bigger names, which in theory could blow them out of the water with spend, with reach, with everything else?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I there, there's there's one ex- well the first thing I would say about Slack and Zoom versus you know Google offering video and Google gave up on video Um I mean, it it's made a return obviously because it's something everybody needs right now but that's the uh, you know work <laughs> or Slack they only do chat that's their focus that's what they're going to be good at they are determined to know their customer they're ter- determined to figure out what is the best way or the best product that they can deliver for their customers. Microsoft to your point of their R&D is however many times bigger than Slacks. I mean, that's spread across how so many different product lines? And inside of that company, they will have prioritized the ones that they think make the most sense. And that's, that's where the real energy and thought processes are going to go to. Now, in terms of, you know, companies that are up and coming and competitive. You can look at a company like Trello. Trello, in my opinion, was the biggest existential threat to Atlassian in, in the history of the company, Atlassian went out and bought it. You can talk about that. There's Asana and other things like that out there, but I just don't think that people really want to use that product the way that they want it to use Trello. And and you know, when you see something like that, you're going to have to out R and D them, or you're going to have to
2: acquire. Them. So, like in Atlassian's case, Trello, Confluence, big successes, right? But they did try to compete against. I think I think from your standpoint, actually, it's really interesting in the sense that. Atlassian tried to compete against Slack, and we talked about HipChat. And
1: they- I can tell you why on that, actually. Um, Go ahead. So I, 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 I brought in HipChat as the acquisition at Atlassian. Well, it was the one that first suggested it, and a lot of other people worked on it. So I don't, I don't want to say that when you build software, there's just a certain number of things that you need. You need an issue tracker. You need a build server. You need a place to store your code. And you need a server. And one of the things that we needed was chat. And the reason for this was is traditionally Atlassian had put all of their development teams in a single location. And you just have these huge pods inside of various offices. And then you would just use it as a multiplier effect in order to get what we need done. It wasn't, there was no fragmentation of the team members. But when we acquired Bitbucket, we needed a chat tool because the, the team that I was managing was spread across two continents. And so we brought in hipchat and you know that was a very good product but we we starved it on r and d and it was only until we realized that slack it was just growing so fast and the number of people that were working on it were just vastly outnumbering the number of people that were working on it at atlassian and this goes back to my point on microsoft in terms of internal prioritization we we just we underfunded it and you know at some point you have to look in the mirror and have a hard conversation with yourself. And I think that they did the right thing selling the IP to to Slack. And obviously they have a good relationship with Slack because they acquired this company in their ecosystem. And, and, you know, they were honest with themselves about the direction that it's all going.
0: Is there anything, it's interesting when you think about the three names you own, actually, because Amazon's famous for AWS is based on their own server needs and their third-party fulfillment is based on them figuring out how to do fulfillment, like this sort of, I forget how Bezos is described as thinking about it, but it's essentially if we serve ourselves, we can eventually, or no, if we outsource it, it forces us to provide a good product, something like that. At can you talk about the need, HipChat comes out of the need, an internal need to just communicate, and then you see it's more lively. I forget the exact origin story of Slack, but it has something to do with Stuart Butterfield was making a video game and you needed communication. Something I I could be confusing that with Flickr because I heard the same podcast interview with him, but there's something about that internal necessity which you then export and that combines with the idea of also then when you don't, when you have a competitor buying them out and having to integrate them. Do you see any commonalities in those companies that is why it attracts you to those three? Is there anything worth knowing, thinking about from the broader when you look at software companies as an investor?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, the reason I bought I mean, obviously, I'm, I, I really like AWS and, you know, I think it continues to have fantastic growth. The reason I bought Amazon was is I'm stuck at my house. I got really sick. I mean, I was in Southeast Asia for pretty much the whole first quarter. And then when I came back, it wasn't good. And I got locked up at home and then you could just see you know I, I self- quarantined myself and I just uh, I just started ordering everything from Amazon and then you can see like San Francisco goes and it's like one of the first places in order to institute quarantine and so it just became obvious to me when you know it was going to the grocery store it was crazy stressful all you want to do is get in and out as much po- as possible people would do these like weird dances when they'd walk down the aisles with other people and I was just like uh, everybody's just going to switch to ordering Amazon. So that's that's the reason I bought that stock. I mean, I do like AWS quite a bit and the 30% growth on that is is fantastic. To to your second point, with the combination of R&D, these companies are also building products that they use. And so, I you know, is a incredibly important part of process of building anything. And so, Atlassian, Slack, PagerDuty, you know, a lot of the names that you guys talk about they're building the product for themselves, and they are they're at the tip of the spear in terms of digital conversion, and that's what makes uh, a lot of these names really attractive in my mind. Now, I don't own a lot of them. I, I try to only understand so many of them. That's the reason that I, I think that these these companies are just so attractive.
0: Yeah, the dog fooding that that was the principle I was trying to get at. It's just, it's it, it's. I know I tend to be more of an investor, just. To- look at numbers and don't when I, I sometimes separate my business instincts from my investing instincts wrongly and it's so it's interesting to see where that DNA plays out. Akram you had you had brought up a few you had brought up Okta in here as something that you wanted to touch on. How does how does that work? What did, what did you Just, want to uh, I mean we, we haven't really got
2: into it. Obviously it's a super hot stock and if Justin wants to Justin's background, you know, it's kind of an overlap there, right? So single sign on is something that was essentially given away for free or by the giants, you know, as far as, uh, you know, these really large enterprise software companies. Uh, I think Microsoft does it, Google, et cetera. And Okta and their CEO, uh, what's his name, Todd? It's Todd McKinnon, right? Yeah, I think so. Anyway, like it's, what's the market cap now?
0: It's about 24
2: 24 billion. Okay. And it's been, it's been like, you know, in that sweet spot in terms of stock performance in the last year. I mean, the whole sector obviously has been crazy, but like it's really come into, let's call it, we joke about it, the cool guy's table. We want to do the cool guy's table. It's uh, ServiceNow, it's Atlassian, it's Okta. Who else would we lump in there? Slack's not in there, obviously, because it's been plagued from, from day one. PagerDuty's not in there. Zoom definitely in there that's more of kind of like the aspirational guy right now but okta has been in there and like we really haven't gotten much into it so i was just curious as to like i don't think we've touched on it much on our calls and i, I was actually curious because no one would have thought to spend so much money marketing so aggressively to onboard but it kind of does function like an integration platform right like people are reading their business at work reports i had to go through that when they when they highlighted ops GD. The most recent one you know is pointing out zoom and all the uh, endpoint and firewall type stuff that people are using for work from home. So, you know, they have visibility, right? Like particularly if you go home and like you have all these apps, single sign-on is kind of relevant. So go ahead, Justin, what do you think? Well, I mean,
1: one, I think it's, it's PDS ratio is just absolutely incredible. <laughs> what is was it at 40 or something like that last time I looked. Um, but the thing about Octa is, is, is that everybody has to have it and and, and their total addressable market size. Is every single knowledge worker on the planet. Anybody that has a computer that has to go to work is their, is is a potential customer for them. And they haven't even really scratched the surface on that. And as, as more and more tools are brought in to, to companies, and they, it definitely has the integration play that I like on Slack and, and Atlassian. you know, you need a way in order to provision and deprovision users when you are in the IT team at any company. And that's a big part of onboarding and uh, closing out anybody that works at a company. So it, their their potential upside is, is very, very high.
2: So do you see them as like, do you see, let's say, for example, are, are Slack and Okta potential competitors down the road?
1: Um, I don't think so. They're just so different. I mean, I don't I don't want to say never say never. And and certainly every business needs to figure out how to have multiple channels of revenue, but chat and video seem more married than security. They just seem like very different channels to me.
2: The one thing that it would seem that they have done particularly right, which I I think Todd does highlight a few times over the years when I've seen him speak is be Switzerland. They're not owned by you know. Let's call them one of the big three or four, and the the neutrality because again that goes back to like a Slack for example. Like ne- neutrality is a big deal when you do when when you're sitting and you're connecting a lot of things that, and like you're, and and like you're pointing out in terms of uh, the potential addressable market for them. Well,
1: I couldn't possibly agree more on the neutrality component. Let's say Microsoft or Google or AWS, and they will and they do have. Security services you already have and, and everything is going to be on one of these three cloud, cloud providers. And, you know, they're not playing nice <laughs> with each other. <laughs> and so what if I modify my license agreement so that you can't use a particular product on a different platform? Or if I refuse to build an integration or something like that, that alone is part of the buying due diligence process that you would do in choosing something that is going to be so integrated into your business processes you would go through the you would you would have to identify that in the in risk analysis in choosing a, a security vendor and so that, that's another reason that I think that that Okta has such a defensible position versus right, so, the,
2: so I guess the next question is why don't you own it? <laughs> <laughs> you know
1: people ask me that all the time <laughs> especially because I sold off to Atlassian and uh it it just just seemed so expensive, and and my I buy a lot of stuff on margin. And thank you, J.P. Fed interest rates are at zero basically. I, I don't like to buy these things. I don't like to buy these things unless they're on sale. And it's way not on sale right now.
2: Fair enough. That's a perfectly honest and spot on answer.
0: How do you how do you think about because they're all I mean even Pager Duty I guess is. For example, close to a value multiple relative to these others, it's still pricey. From
2: let's be clear, three years ago, Pedro duty's current multiple was what an expensive stock was,
0: right? <laughs> that's and that's what I'm getting. You know, I'm a stu- you know I still invest in furniture companies <laughs> or something. So I'm I'm in another. So I'm curious when you look at
2: Dude, what are you talking, you're in campers worldwide? That thing has crushed it.
0: I'm in Thor, but which is yeah. Like, thank you. Like finally something something that works. It makes me feel I've got a tiny telecom stock that is actually like up 35 percent this year. So I've got a I've gotten lucky in a couple places, but it's still I that company I just met. I'm Alaska Communications. It's like five or six times EV Ibotta. And we're talking about Slack as attractive. And I don't have the number in front of me, but it's still...
2: About 25 times uh, EV to sales.
0: So I guess the first question is that that is like, how do you, when you say something's on sale, like how are you, I we don't need to go into specific multiples, but how do you think about that? Do you look at end states or do you look at, Akram looks at relative valuation a lot. Or is that what you're looking at, Justin? Or how do you think about what a sale constitutes in this space
1: yeah i mean guess to answer your first question why don't i own it i did own it yeah i owned a lot of it in january but i exited most of my positions uh at the end of february when i got sick and i was down on it to be honest and then when i re-entered the market positions that i have probably around a month ago i just i just chose different positions I think PagerDuty is, is is quite attractive. Uh, you just refresh me. What was your second question?
0: Well, just how how do you think about... Oh, this
1: on sale, the on sale. Yeah. yeah sorry. So yeah. on your last podcast, you guys talked about how companies come up with metrics in order to define their customer user base. One of the metrics that I really like that lasting does that I pay very close attention to and Slack as well is they publish their customer numbers in every... Quarterly report, and I know what those companies' churn rates are like because work there, and they're low, they very low churn rate. And so when I look at that, I just I see that these companies are going to have tremendous growth. And you enter these periods where, take last summer, where people just rotate out and don't care about tech. <laughs> you know, everybody's interested in tech right now because everybody has to have it in order to work remote. And so tech stocks are popular. There's going to be a day. You know, maybe when we all are allowed to go back to the office, do whatever we got to do. You know, these things are going to come down, and you know, I basically have alerts set up, and I when they get below twenty percent off their top, I buy, and I just I, I have the confidence to do that because I know how well these companies are run. I see their R and D. I talk to their customers. I talk to the people that work at these companies. They're happy employees. So, if you like the product, you like the stock. If if the employees are happy, customer numbers are going up. You know, there's a bright future for these people.
0: So maybe the the follow up that that brings to mind is long term. How many of these companies do you think can sort of stay independent and stay strong? Because I think what you're describing is there's an advantage in investing in R and D and in sticking to what you do. That's the advantage versus the majors, but. You mentioned Okta, for example, trading at a crazy multiple. How much room is there to – even if you talk about every every knowledge worker as a potential customer service and you say that security is distinct from chat and video, for example. But like, how many different spaces are there before they start eating each other's lunch? Is it still just the fact that the legacy enterprise software companies have so much left to be taken from them? Or how do you think about the – the blue space or the green space or whatever?
1: Well, I mean, the green space is, is any company that's cloud first. You listen to the Microsoft earnings call, is a great example. And you guys talked about the word accelerate, but what did Satina Dalasey say? He said something like, no material impact to our business, if anything, it accelerated the digital transformation.
2: You know, well, these companies. We so made, it, made it how many minutes? 30, 38 minutes <laughs> until accelerated came up.
1: <laughs> pretty good
2: <laughs> so these these
1: cloud companies that are cloud first and they integrate with each other and they have stickiness and their customers like them I like those I mean it's a pretty simple investment thesis and I, I only need to know a few of them I, I, you know there's this, this great question where Warren Buffett gets asked how many stocks he owns and he says one and you know I feel the same way like if I can understand a couple of these companies really really well then I, I can go very heavy into those positions.
2: I mean, you've also been. We didn't get into this because he doesn't own it now, but he's we've talked about it many times, which he's just waiting for it to get cheaper one day again. I assume is service now.
1: Yeah, I like that one too. That one. I mean, you got Bill McDermott running that thing. I mean, that guy has laid out an incredible vision for where he wants to take it. He's a magnetic personality, so you know as long as he's at the helm of that company, I, I believe him when he says he's going to get that company to ten billion dollars in sales. And everybody needs ITSM uh, in a way to your to your point, Daniel. You know it does compete with Atlassian, but there are a lot of knowledge workers out there, so there's 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 plenty for everybody to eat.
0: So where you you're describing a sort of really focused concentration, which. I I always admire. I can't I struggle both of you guys have a lot of comments in your positions. Me, I maybe because I don't have the time to really dive into the details, I tend to prefer a little bit more diversification. But where are you looking right now for what next to watch for or where else? I mean you've mentioned a couple verticals, whether it's ServiceNow, Oak to whatever else, but where are other spaces that you're thinking about learning more about or are you more focused on continuing to understand what you own right now?
1: There are there are two companies that I would like to acquire positions in, and they're they're private companies. I've tried to do several brokered secondary market transition or uh, purchases. One is called Segment. Uh, it's a company, but so it's basically data streaming is 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 the thesis idea. Every company is generating Google amount size of data. And they wanna be able to tap into this data, they wanna be able to route this data, they wanna be able to aggregate it, they wanna be able to visualize this data. There's two sort of customers in my opinion. There's there's companies that are too small to run the infrastructure on their own and they need something that is it's very easy to set up. And then you've got one you know, other ones that need to collect like G E where they wanna collect all of the engine data from a plane and shove it into a database and, you know, make design decisions and and repair decisions and things like that. You know, for the smaller customers, it's like, Hey, I want to track my customer across all of my websites, things like that. So these, these data streaming companies are very attractive to me. So segment is one that's for the sort of, uh, you know, small cap company and below. And then the other one is confluent. Confluent is started by some employees that came out of LinkedIn. Uh, and you know they wrote some open source software, and then they basically packaged it up, and they started selling it to companies like GE in order to monitor engines. Uh, and every company in the future is going to need this technology. And so I would love—I <laughs> mean, I've tried many times. Uh, one time, the shares came for sale, and I was uh, in a pub in Sydney earlier this year, and it was uh, a, a very—it was a seven-figure amount of shares that came available. I couldn't get a hold of my business partner. Was, there was like a health thing that was going on at his and I mean, those no shares were gone in
2: hours—just hours. What about the uh, the hottest thing? It was funny. Someone today sent to me, and he's a really smart investor out of, uh, out of the UK, and he was like asking me about. Uh, he was on a call, and they were discussing Snowflake. And I, when he asked me about it, he's like, "What do you know about Snowflake?" I was like, "Valinor, Lord of the Rings, <laughs> 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 the land across the sea." I mean, well, we're—I mean, like that. There's, when we're talking about hot private companies touched by the hand of God. Everybody talks about Snowflake. Any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, I didn't—I I didn't get a chance
1: to really touch it very much when I was at Docker. The, the data analytics team reported into me, and I remember it was always on the backlog. And I think they started on this as I was transitioning out of, of Docker, sort of. I retiring, the, the engineers just love this product and they just thought it was you know the next golden calf. And so I hear great things about it, but I, I don't have any experience with it and so it's, it's hard for me to say how great it is. You know I, in general, I would say one thing about databases is, is uh, they've just gotten so specialized over the last decade and there's going to be a winner in every category of specialization.
2: Okay. Daniel, any other questions along those lines? Oh, you know what we didn't talk about? Twilio. By the way, in the news today, up 7% this morning, my buddy Captain Twilio has been blowing me up all day because they're going to be doing the contact tracing in New York City. But what do you have to say about that one? I mean, obviously that one had a huge move and it's prompted a lot of my thinking around uh, Slack, re-rating. Twilio was in the doghouse. Yeah. You know, I owned a lot of Twilio and, uh,
1: it's very bittersweet to see that thing go, so I cause I, I sold it at a loss, <laughs> and it just it just rockets. They've got great leadership. They've got they've got a long term vision. They've got a great boss. But You know, I, I know quite a few people that, quite a few people that work at that company, and they're very very happy working there.
0: On the, the I guess the only other thing I was curious about since you brought up and you focus on the private market or private equity with enterprise fund, are you seeing? I see reports, mostly headlines. I don't go into too many of the reports. The I mean, information are from similar publications about this is a pretty disruptive time, it seems like, for at least earlier on VC and that sort of thing. But are you seeing – I mean, the dis- what you just described is still very – companies that are at least still in high demand and segment and confluent. Are you seeing anything – different in the spaces you look at in the private market as compared to the public market where SaaS is still super hot or is it mirroring the private market?
1: Well, I mean, we don't get to see as much as the other people do. So just for the listeners, another guy at Atlassian and I, we basically we run a, a syndicate fund and, you know, when we find deals, we pull together people that used to work at Atlassian or were part of the Atlassian partner network. And so the, the companies that we look at are very, very specialized in terms of playing sort of as is, is, is diagonal sort of cast actors to Atlassian. You know we did two deals. It was hard to raise. <laughs> we did them over the last two months. <laughs> and you know people got very reluctant who we were very bullish six months ago for obvious reasons with COVID. But you know I, the one thing I would say I see a lot of AI companies. Everybody is trying to figure out how to apply artificial, mostly machine learning, um, to business processes or enable companies to have tools in order to, uh, invest in their own experiments, applying machine learning in order to improve their business.
2: Jensen Wong is, you know, going to be very happy to hear that. NVIDIA, the unstoppable force. Yeah. They had great earnings yesterday. I mean, that's just, that's like the new bluest of blue chips these days. It's so funny considering the history of it. Personally, I've been on both sides of it. And uh, no, I mean, they're doing great. He's just, uh, he's a character. There's not much else to say. I don't think you can be more charismatic and more confident and excited as an owner, CEO, founder and, than that guy. I did want to ask you, though. So, I, like, in terms of perspective, in terms of, you know, flipping from the inside to the outside. Do you feel like there's any blind spots you have? Because I will say that in my years talking to people, when, when you're doing, when you're crossing over, people will be like, oh, how do you do this? I'm like, listen, I talk to people in the industry and I formulate an opinion. I talked to, a perfect example, PagerDuty. A lot of my research in the beginning indicated and, and my past experiences were like, this is going to get crushed by Splunk and Atlassian and the reason it hasn't been crushed yet is I don't want to put my digital fire alarm in a you know a poorly funded startup. That was part of a thesis and did some homework. And actually, you and I connected around that time, and we we we, we both talked about it. And, and look, the short worked out great. But you come back like a year later, and you're like, Ugh, th- this thing is sticky. And like I'd heard a little bit of that from one or two people in the beginning. It was just like, why are we going to spend here at a hundred billion dollar plus enterprise software company. Like we don't need to spend time. This is integrated with like 2,500 services, ripping it out to save 300. We have better things to do. The one guy who told me was like, he's like, it's literally the last thing we would look at replacing right now. So, but when I talk to people like that, and I've been doing this for over a decade in terms of like the, the level of, of fishing around in the industry. And, and you know it's almost expert network conversations and trying to formulate an opinion by both weighing both sides. And sometimes you flip and sometimes you don't. I do wonder when I talk to a lot of these people, I'm like, oh, how, how can't these guys not see it? Like, why aren't they looking at this? Or forget it, whether they have the opportunity to invest. But sometimes you talk to them and you're like, they just have blinders on because they don't see it the way people see it from the investment community i look back at PagerDuty's last earnings and they sent like out a, a, like a thank you message to everyone on zoom using zoom with like you know the 100 you know what do you call it the the, the tile pad a screen and then they get on they host an earnings conference call with like a choppy connection uh, on like a bad phone like it was like 1985 and i'm like these people don't get it <laughs> you know like, why am I a shareholder now? I, I need to go back to being short in the stock. I, I mean, like, you know, that, that's what you're thinking at that time. So, I, like, to to kind of get right to the point, it's just that, do you feel that you, having been on the inside, do, may have some blind spots coming, you know, to the outside?
1: Well, I mean, I, I, I certainly feel like I'd learn something every day. That's for sure. And I sit on these earning calls, and it's clear that I don't understand the financial components. As well as these analysts that are at these call that are that are on these calls, and they're talking about take forward revenue, and you know they obviously have very complicated spreadsheets where they're modeling out the growth of the company. You know, and certainly as an insider at the company, I was responsible for coming up with projections as well. The people that are in finance, they're been doing it their whole careers. They probably have degrees in it. They certainly are better equipped than I am at this point. That's that's for sure. The way that I do my theses now is. Is you know it's leadership, it's our Indian customers. That's what I look at. Is the company being well want well run? And, you know, is the product being improved, and are the customers happy? And and that's the way that I ran the products. In my experience, when when you focus on it with that regard, and obviously you have to keep the checkbook balanced when you're building these things, but if you're doing that, you're going to increase the value of the company. And so as I transition out, you know, one of the things that I do worry about. Is to your point on Snowflake, I, I didn't use it, and I'm not paying attention to the new products the way that I was paying attention to the new products before. But the one the one thing that I do, or my partner Ben and I have an advantage in, is because we were operators, people bring us in, and then we get a chance to look at a lot of these up and coming companies, and we see the ways that they're doing business, the ways that they, that they want to change the way that companies are being run and developed and the technologies that they're applying. And so, uh, you know, over 10 years, as the knife gets duller in terms of uh, relevancy to being an operator, I'm hoping that the lens through these startups that we look at will be able to fill that gap. All right.
2: That's an excellent response. Anything anything else on your mind? What about work from home? You know, I was, I was having a conversation on work from home yesterday with a friend and it just it got me depressed for one respect, where I was just like, if these, if, I'm, if I was twenty years old coming out of college, and the the one thing I wanted to do when I graduated was move to New York City. I wanted to live in the middle of the city. I didn't care if ninety eight percent of my income was going to it because I wanted to. Com- I didn't want to commute. I wanted to be able to walk out of my my office and like go straight out that night, like spend as little time as possible. And I think about, when you think about innovation and servicing customers and developing these companies, the social health factor in, if you're working and you're motivated at one of these top companies, you were pointing out when you started Atlassian and like how the engineering was, you know, heavy on one end and and not remote. And like most tech, like if if, if PagerDuty CEO will tell you, you know, we were 40% remote before this. You look at it now and you're like, are are some of these companies, if I want to work at a Google or Facebook, you know, for some of these people, it's like... if you're a young guy, you, you want to meet girls. You want to make friends. You want to, like, there's a social element. Does mm-hmm. is, is is there going to be a backlash in tech? Because we've seen stuff the last, like, two days where we started out with, like, hey, work from home was awesome. Hey, these are the leaders and the tools. To We got to a point in the last, like, week where, like, you know, we've got Toby from, from Shopify, you know, tweeting with his face mask on that work from home is permanent and that the, the digital transformation. You've got Jack Dorsey Twitter went, w- went first, then square. You got Facebook, Zuckerberg, just yesterday talking about it. Like tech is like, this pandemic is bad, wink, wink. <laughs> 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 like you look at <laughs> it and you're <laughs> like, uh, uh, is, is there going to be a, a backlash potentially sometime a year from now where it's like, I want to be in the office. The office isn't my offsite. I would like to see some people. I would like I would like to like, you know, I, I would think about the amount of times I wasted when I first started working and be like, yo, let's go to lunch. Right. I mean, you
1: get a lot out of that, by the way, going to lunch with your coworkers. I, I do think there's going to be uh, a lot of people that want to go back to the office. To your point in New York, I, 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 I have an apartment in the city, but I'm not there now. And we got blue boxes that you've got to stand in as you go to the elevator. And you've got to sanitize your hands, and it's one family in an elevator at a time. I mean, that's incredibly fatiguing. I play a lot I play a lot of ice hockey it's, it's, a, it's an outlet for me and you know there's guys that are chirping all the time on email or at the game or whatever there's guys that just have fallen off the face of the map so clearly the mental health issue is is a real issue the sooner we can get people the safe ability to get out of their house and go do what they need to do I think they are going to want to go back to the office now the flip side of that coin is is my business partner he said he's he, he moved all of his stuff out of our office in SF. And he uh, he said he's not going back into an office until
2: there's a the vaccine
1: so you know you got people like that too
2: No, I mean and, and, and look that's fine and you know I I can completely 100 percent relate to that with the way the, the but I'm thinking about it more from the standpoint and I don't know if, like D- Daniel also you can relate like where it's look at our age and I mean particularly for you like you like we're we're past that trying to figure out what you're doing, right? Like you're coming out of school, you're, you're seeking experiences. And I think a lot of these companies are defined by those young people. Work from a home when you're, you're over 40 like me or whatnot, like it's it's not a big deal. You know, you have your established friends, you've got your network, your networking being such a big deal in the sense, like you've built it, you've been building it over 20 years or, or, or whatnot. But if you're coming right out of school, you have it. And like one of the most, I would say, ideal places you do it, whether it's finance and you're in an investment banking analyst class and you know you guys are hit, you're hitting the bars after work and whatever, and that whole kind of culture, work hard, play hard. I think that gets stripped. But the offset to it, which is where like, I'm curious of your opinion, is there are huge benefits to tech. They can now access legitimately, in a hardcore manner, labor all over planet Earth, particularly on an engineering end.
1: That's a pretty big advantage. Yes. I, I mean, I, I, I think everybody should go to the office when they can. I think face, there's the, you know, they call it FaceTime for a reason. <laughs> everybody needs it. It, it, it matters. And I agree with your sentiment on this potentially heavily impacts the careers of young people in terms of them building their network. I think there was a Wall Street Journal podcast maybe a week or two ago that said that people who are established in their career are fine, who have been working at places for a long time are fine but new employees and young people aren't able to cross-pollinate, and that will have a drag coefficient on efficiency. Now, flip side is, is maybe you figure out that you can work remote, and there are a lot of companies that do. I like to work remote occasionally. I mean, if I needed to get something done, I would stay at home, or I would find a place to go isolate myself. And, and if you can adopt those 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 workflows and methodologies, maybe you can find an engineer in a different place that otherwise wouldn't be available to you that can't move to your city. So it all just depends on your culture and ways that you want to operate your business.
0: Well, I, I, I because I've been working for remotely since I joined Seeking Alpha. And we were talking about this a little before the call, Justin. But I think what's interesting, there's the cultural aspect of it, which I think it forces you when you work from home. First of all, work wise, you have to be more communicative. I, Have become and partly because I also work for an Israeli company, and that's sort of the culture in Israel. But I have become a lot more assertive during my time as a remote worker, and so I think there are certain ways that are interesting to to compensate. And also, I think I think a lot. For example, somebody I've cited before on our podcast and who I read, Derek Thompson in the Atlantic. He wrote an article about how central work is in our lives. And so when you're talking about that social networking, and I met my wife at my first professional job, really. So it's not, I'm not saying I'm different in that way, but like there's not having the workplace forces you to then try to make cultural or social connections in other ways, which I think there, so I'm just interested in the mitigation. What I think from a business perspective is really interesting. and, And one of you hinted at this is, I think if this trend persists, it's super deflationary for the salaries in the industry. I just think it all of a sudden, it may be your best case is it sort of levels out the playing field so that the Bay Area is not, or New York is not a premium, but you just like, I think for example, I probably don't command the same salaries I would were I in a location and being able to leverage the local community. I think that's something that's interesting to watch I don't know if that really sifts over into the bottom line or into the competitive status of these companies, but I do think that the companies may or may not be realizing, you know, somebody like Zuckerberg especially may be realizing, yeah, if we work, if we hire remotely, we don't have to be fighting for the the nth data analyst or the nth developer in the Bay Area. And that all of a sudden, I think becomes very interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely your salary. I mean, there's. I mean, they publish these salary index things, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. And and if you are not working in the Bay, why do you need as much? If you live in Minnesota, for example, where I'm from, the same amount of money engineers get paid between those two locations is vastly different. But you know, I I do think that there is a tremendous advantage to clustering, and I, I think that I don't particularly like the idea of fully remote. So I'm, I I'm, mean, I'm, you know, yeah, I'm just not, I'm just not for it, to be honest. And I, I think that when you can get in front of someone's face and work with them closely, in those hallway conversations, those, those lunches that you go to are long, the, the happy hours that you do at the end of the night, you know, a lot of the great ideas are discussed then. And, you know, I think it's important to get back to that.
2: I mean, what good is being wealthy if you're stuck on an island by yourself? <laughs> so, so. Well, nobody
1: wants, you know, whatever the Tom Hanks movie is, he wasn't wealthy on that. Castaway! He, he still didn't
2: like it.
0: Wilson!
1: <laughs> nobody wants but to. Run, we I we, we,
2: we it. are the poster childs for this. I mean, you're on the West Coast, I'm on the East Coast, and Daniel's in Europe. I mean, it's uh, it doesn't get more spread out really that when you think about it. But, I mean, look, there's it's obviously something has been exposed here that I think commercial real estate, as has been shown to be almost a luxury product here. I was actually chatting with someone where he was like, you know, he was having a back and forth with with colleague slash friend of his, and this guy was in software, and the other guy was in finance, and they were, you know, debating the whole opening up, opening up thing. And the commercial real estate finance person was like, "Aren't you like, aren't you stressed out about the economy?" And this he's like, "Listen, I don't think you understand my business. My business benefits from this." Not that I want it, but like we create, we almost create deflation and efficiency, right? I
1: mean, you're not making the world you play in the game.
2: Exactly.
0: I do think it's, it's, I think it does balance out. I'm bullish. I love cities and I'm bullish on cities in the long haul. And like, I, I think in terms of the work environment, I think this period will have opened people's eyes to the fact that work from home for a lot of knowledge work is doable. I think you're right that there is there is still value to FaceTime. I mean, I look forward to going to the office. I go to one of our offices maybe three or four times a year. And, it's, and then whenever I get to meet somebody who writes for the site in person, for whatever reason, our paths cross. Like that's for sure. That's a lot of fun and something to look forward to. And so I do think that balances out, but it is, you know, we're still, we're what, two and a half months into this really. And everybody's very prone to extrapolating. And I'm still, without getting into the weeds, bullish that in the medium term, we'll get a vaccine and life will. The economy, obviously, there's a lot going on there, but I do think life will return. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see on the margin where the changes come and what that means for these companies, both from their inner operations and from their total available market and all that stuff, addressable market.
1: Well, I mean, you guys kind of comment on you know commercial real estate, and you know I'll say this: you know, we we rent office space, Ben and I, and Ben has given up on it. Uh, you know, he's not going back until there's a vaccine. But we rent from WeWork, right? We've, I mean, we've got our own private office that we work. And who's that? What's what's WeWork? Yeah, Between that business model. <laughs> <laughs> and they, um, by the way, WeWork is a fantastic product. I, I will say this: I was working at home. For like a year without it, and then Ben insisted we, we get the office, and we got it. And it, it, I mean, it was fantastic to be able to go to work. They have amazing reception folks and a team that take care of you. They learn your name, they learn your preferences. They they'll get you the type of beer that you want for for happy hour on Friday. Like I mean, they are they've got the experience nailed like it's a hotel. I love. I mean, they've got kombucha. It's it's there's fruit infused water. There, like, it's just a fantastic product. But I haven't been there, and I'm not getting that product. So why am I paying that bill? And you know, the way that I've been thinking about it, and I've been Ben wants to abandon it, and I just you know the way I've approached it is is I think we can renegotiate right now. And our lease is up in September, and I'm like, you know, we were supposed to go month to month, and our we got a prorated rate for a year in order to go into one of their new offices. Uh, It was a reduced rate, but then at the end of the first year, it kicks up to a much higher rate. I want to say it was like 25-30% discount. I'm just like, I I think we can get a locked-in rate that's even lower than we're at now. I think we should negotiate. You know, I was like, we're not getting full value on payment, so why should we even make full payment? And so I think we're making every payment. But like, How many other people are doing this? A lot. I bet a lot of them are doing that. And so I think the commercial real estate sector is going to become
2: turbulent. I concur. There's a a rule of law element to it, right, at the end of the day. I mean, I was talking to a friend and just from an education standpoint, medical school and uh, what they're paying for rent. And she wants to hold on to her apartment and no visibility into what happens in New York. In the fall, and it's like, look, can you answer this question? If if school resumes on site come September, do you want this apartment? Yes, my apartment rocks. I, I don't want to go up and how? What am I going to go up? Move? Get my stuff out? I, I like abandon it, throw it? Do I have to put it in storage? Well, at the same time, you're paying three thousand dollars a month for an empty apartment. I'm like, well, you know, like, what's your landlord say? He's like, well, I, mean, I haven't talked to him. I'm like, well, I'll approach him and be like, listen, you know, I, I cut me a break. I'll extend the lease. On these circumstances, I think people have to consider like the flexibility, but like the people who are just get, who are just collecting rent and thinking that nothing's going to happen and want to be hard asses about it. I don't think that's going to work out for them.
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely going to be a de- deflation- deflationary component on on this sector of the market. And, you know, we can look at the stock price in, of, of the Dow Jones and NASDAQ and it's at an all time high, but, you know, it's, it's not real estate and it's not banks. That's for sure.
2: Without question. Yeah.
1: And so, I, I, you know, to your friend, I, you, you got to con- have those tough conversations with people. They're not fun, but the sooner you get in front of them, the better off you are.
2: Yeah, I was like, what are you going to do? Are you going to pay rent for the next four months and not be there? But, I mean, she did make some good points. I mean, as far as, like, where, do I take my stuff out? Do I go up there? How am I going to do it? Like, uh, you know, store it, et cetera.
1: Yeah, I mean, in the, the, the,
2: the, to go all the way back
1: to the beginning of this, I, I can't wait to go back to the office. I, I really look forward to that day.
2: All right, and on that note, Daniel, anything else?
0: No, I think that's a good note to to end on. So, obviously as we discussed, these collaboration tools are going to be there either way, but yeah, it's 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 just a weird time we're in and so totally interesting to see when we how long it takes us to get back to that and what changes stick. So, um Justin, thanks a lot for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Uh good to get another yeah. perspective here.
2: Yeah, thank you guys for having us. Yeah, maybe next time you, can, we, you come back, we can we can discuss pager duty and maybe po- <laughs> uh, post post earnings. Find out. I, we know Mr. Lassie had competition over there, but yeah, I'd love Yeah, to. thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you guys.
0: Just before we wrap, Akram, any other positions that we discussed that didn't come up in the open?
2: I don't think we discussed it. Oh, I said I saw it on. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm long Twitter again. Well, let's <laughs> not even bother discussing why.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Because it's
2: be... like crack. <laughs> it's crack right now.
0: <laughs> you, you can be here for a, a long it. time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so it sucked me back in. It's like just when I thought I was out.
0: <laughs> All right. We're, I'm gonna... I
2: mean, I can't. I can't. I can't not. I mean, like, and maybe we'll bring you on for, for, for this because Daniel and I were talking about it. But the Joe Rogan signs this deal. Uh, John Krasinski uh, sold a show in five minutes. It's like, content, content, content. What is Mr. Jack Dorsey doing with in terms of exclusivity? I mean, he's taking nine-minute ice baths and hanging out with Kanye. Like, how? why doesn't Twitter have a premium product?
1: No, you just you just answered your own question.
2: Because <laughs> he, he's not focused.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to jump in because if we get onto Twitter, we could be here. There yeah. Is- So all right thanks so much guys good stuff and uh best of luck to best of luck to you justin and uh, hope you get back to the office soon briefly for the disclosure we mentioned thor industries and alaska communications i hold long positions in both of those names